Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. I have all these experiences in my memory, having grown up in the church, the experiences of extreme presence of God, the moments spent at camps around altars or in a week-long conference, worshiping and praising God every day, all day. It's when God seems to heal your heart, inspire your soul, and teach your mind all at once, and you feel so close to Him, so changed, that you think everyone must be able to see the change in you so clearly, you know? Like, like everyone can just tell how different you are. Your perspective, your mindset, your place in the world all seem to shift so powerfully. And I have this, this picture in my mind of the mountaintop experiences in the Bible. I, I imagine that they are the physical representation of my camp or conference experience. I, I picture the work that it takes to get to the top, the exhaustion, the sleepless nights and long days, always looking ahead at how much longer, how much farther, building your expectation, rehearsing the questions over and over in your mind. And when you finally get there, and get to experience the presence of God, just how powerful that must be. There are some quintessential mountaintop moments in the Bible that we're going to teach throughout this church camp sermon series, and I really hope that you get to experience God in a brand new way. And I hope that you're already anticipating what God is going to do. That's, that's what the mountaintops theme is all about hearing from God in a brand new way and the work it takes to get there. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Are you though? Yes. Okay. Honestly, it has been quite the week preparing this sermon series. I think Jason has been here just all of the hours. Just all of them. He's been here preparing, and didn't he do an amazing job, him and the team? It looks awesome out there. Meanwhile, I have been preparing this message. I really want to bring camp home for you all, that experience I described, the experience Jordan has had 11 times, which is amazing, the camp experience of being in God's presence. I want to bring the power to you, the very breath of God. Because otherwise, why are we doing all this? Yeah, right. <laughs> right? I mean, fun is good. I believe church should be enjoyed, not endured. And we like to have fun with it and change. Even the decor and the lobby is good. Sometimes just change for change's sake is good, right? Gets us out of our comfort zone, sort of jogs us into a new place. But really, why go through all that work <laughs> if not for the presence and power of God. There's, there's no great reason to go through all the trouble without that. And we talked a lot this year about the struggles, right? The battles, the Between Two Garden sermon series, the valleys, the dark places, the how to get through. We've been down here and dealing with what that looks like a lot. Today, I want to take us sort of up here, though, <laughs> to the mountaintop moments, the extreme presence of God 
moments, the breakthrough moments. The thing is, it takes some work to get from here to there. It's a little bit of work. So today, I hope to sort of prepare our hearts for a little bit, because we have an entire month of mountaintop moments, of special services, of deeper presence, more engagement, right? And I need to get us prepared for that. We got to do a little bit of work to get there, like Jason was saying earlier. This week, I looked at just a few of the over 500 mountaintop moments with God in the Bible. Did you know there were that many mountaintop moments? Maybe sort of read over that part of where these stories are happening, but a ton of them happen on mountaintops. And uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments, which we're going to preach next week. Jesus was tempted on mountains. Jesus was transfigured on a mountain. There's the Sermon on the Mountain, Abraham and Isaac, and temples being built on mountains, even to the crucifixion, right? So many mountaintop moments in the Word. And the one we're going to study today actually has three mountaintop moments in one story, in two chapters in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 18 and 19. And it's in these chapters we see this crazy story of the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah lived in a time when God moves in big ways, earthquake ways, parting the Red Sea kind of ways. He moved in all of these crazy big ways. And it was in Elijah's particular time that there was a, a wicked king on the throne of Israel, King Ahab. King Ahab was married to a woman named Jezebel. That's worked its way into our culture a little bit, right? You all know the Jezebel spirit. And Jezebel influenced King Ahab and subsequently the entire nation of Israel to worship other gods, the god of Baal in particular and the god of Asherah. And she wiggled those religions into Israel's culture so deeply that most people worshipped all three, the god of Israel, the god of Baal, and the god of Asherah. Now, this goes back, and you can read this in the sermon notes. There's a lot more to this, all about the, the, the religions of this day and who these gods were and how they were worshipped and all of that. But Baal was not a great god to worship. But Israel got into it. It, it dates back to when they came out of Egypt, right, the Exodus. And they finally, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, got into the promised land. And they saw this fertile land, but the people in it worshipped Baal, and they worshipped Asherah, who's a fertility god. And they thought, uh-oh, maybe the God of Israel can't sustain us. Maybe we need to continue worshipping these gods that have been here before us. Maybe just a little bit of all three. We'll just cover our bases just in case God of Israel isn't going to provide for us. It was fear. So they started taking little pieces. And they, we see this problem over and over throughout Israel's history. They don't just worship God the way that God asked to be worshipped. They add all these other things from the world in as well. And we pick up the story after Elijah had done three and a half years of hiding. Because Ahab had gone on a killing spree of God's prophets. Jezebel wanted them all dead. Because 
Honestly, uh, Elijah had prophesied that there would be no rain in the land for three and a half years because of their disobedience, not because he had prophesied it, right? But Ahab saw Elijah as the bad guy. How many times do we do that? Right? We cause issues in our lives, but we blame everybody else. We blame the guy who told us we were wrong, not the fact that we're actually wrong. And so Elijah had to go into hiding. Now, God had led him to a place where he would be safe for three and a half years. And he actually led him to an old woman and her son who had nothing left. Famine was creeping in. There was nothing left. You remember the story of the supernatural jars of oil and flour. This is that story. He was sustained for three and a half years in a place where no one could find him off of supernatural bread. It was an amazing thing. In that time, if you just go back to the chapter before we're going to read today, you can also read the story of how he raised that little boy from the dead. I mean, amazing things happened in that season. But I think mostly it was pretty quiet, pretty out of the way. If, if After all, if people knew in a famine that there was supernatural bread around right? So it's probably out of the way place, a very quiet place, but it was a place where God took care of him. And after three and a half years, Ahab had looked everywhere, couldn't find him, but suddenly Elijah shows back up. At the request of God, he goes to find Ahab. And in 1 Kings 18, verse 17, we're going to pick up the story. It says, when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Was Elijah the troublemaker of Israel? Or did he just prophesy what God was going to do because of Ahab's disobedience? Right? Elijah replied, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel. (laughs) Did Elijah have authority to summon all of Israel? In fact, he was an enemy of the state. He was a wanted criminal at this point. But the authority of God tends to trump all other authority. Ahab was a little afraid of him, in fact. And so, now summon all of Israel, join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who were supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them. And said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. See, we often get a little silent when we're convicted. (laughs) A little silent when totally confronted by the truth. And, And God does this so eloquently usually. He says the truth in like two sentences that you've been struggling to define for years, right? Of course, Baal and God can't be God. Duh, (laughs) right? It's this dumb moment for Israel. And, And yet, just picture this moment with me from Elijah's perspective. Elijah had been hiding for three and a half years. His life was pretty quiet and peaceful. Just him, an old woman, her son, probably lived a very quiet life. And then suddenly, Elijah finds himself in the craziest 24 hours a prophet could ever experience. He is suddenly in front of the entire nation, 850 prophets of other gods, the king himself, and he's calling down fire from heaven. In fact, 
I see what Elijah does next here as, as very vibrant. Right? He heads out of a very quiet season. When God calls him, he immediately gets up. He goes to face off with the king who he knows wants to kill him and has the power to. And then stands in front of a large group of people, single-mindedly declaring the truth about the God of Israel. That's a very vibrant disciple, yeah? That's somebody who understands what it means to be vibrant. And I think throughout this story, you're going to see just how vibrant Elijah is and just how important it is. You know, you hear us always talk about vibrant, passionate, selfless, right? It's on my shirt. It's been on our chalkboard for a while now, right? Vibrant, passionate, and selfless. That's who we are because that's who God has called us to be. The nation of Israel lost their vibrancy somewhere along the way. And I actually have, Jason, if you would come, I have this canvas here to sort of illustrate this. God asked the nation of Israel to be set apart, right? To be different than the world. And yet they kept wanting to pull in little pieces of other religions. He wanted them to be a bright, vibrant color, right? Nothing else. In the way, in fact, holiness is what keeps us pure like this, vibrant like this. And holiness isn't something you do, it's something you are. It affects your decision making because it's who you are, right? We talked about this a while ago. It matters who you think you are because it guides your decisions. This is vibrant, it's pure red, right? Beautiful, deep color. It's meant to show the world who God is. And so God takes Israel's lack of vibrancy very seriously. Because what happens when you add other colors to this color is it gets icky. Anyone want to predict what color this is going to be by the time Jason's done adding purple and orange and green? and Yeah, that's couldn't be further from vibrant, right? It's a mix of puke colors. I don't know what that is anymore. It's it's not vibrant. God was calling Israel to be this. Thank you, Jason. But they were adding in a little bit here and a little bit there, right? We can't fully trust that God is who he says he is, so we're just going to take, take little pieces. God couldn't trust them to be his example anymore. Anyone ever wonder why Israel got to be God's people and not the rest of the world? Have a problem with that? Yeah, it wasn't that God was calling Israel and Israel alone. He hated all other people. He wanted Israel to be the leaders, to be the example. He wanted Israel to be the avenue with which he saved the world through. That's why he took Israel's disobedience so seriously. He wanted to show the world and save the world through him, through Israel. But they can't do that being this. The opposite of vibrant is dull, colorless, washed out. This is vibrant. It's what he was calling them to be. It's what Elijah was in this moment, standing up in front of the entire nation, declaring who God is, because vibrant is single-minded. It's active. It's fun, even. It's bold, it's dynamic, and it's life worship of God. Life worship, it's a hyphenated thing. It's offering your entire life to God. And when you do that, it's fun, (laughs) y'all. We have fun in this life. 
We don't need all the things of the world to have fun because this is fun. Vibrant discipleship. Going on adventures God calls you to. Calling down fire from heaven. It's worship that you enjoy and have fun with and are bold about and you allow it to consume your life. Elijah goes on to challenge the prophets of Baal. He stands up in front of the entire nation, and it's a really interesting story if you want to go and read it. We just don't have time to get into all the details, but essentially he says, you prophets of Baal, go build an altar. Don't put any fire underneath it. You're going to put all the things an altar takes, the stones, the wood, the whatever, but, but you're not going to light a fire, okay? You're going to call down fire from heaven. I'll let you go first, and then I'm going to build my altar to the true God, the God of Israel, and I'm going to call fire down from heaven, and we'll see, right? Whoever wins, wins. I'll concede if you win. So everybody agrees, and the Baal worshipers, they build their altar, and all morning they pray to the God of Baal, come rain fire down from heaven, and all afternoon until, and this is how I know that Elijah was fun, because he starts making fun of them. (laughs) He starts taunting them a little bit. Really, guys? Really? Is your God sleeping? Is he going to the bathroom? He's taking a nap? What's, what's going on here? Right? Is he God? Is he actually? And all afternoon, this goes on until the evening comes. And he's like, you know what? You've had all day. Now it's my turn. And he starts building an altar to the God of heaven. And as soon as he's done, he gets on his knees and he prays. And it's honestly, you can read the prayer. It's like two sentences, maybe three. Two seconds, he prays, and fire rains down from heaven. In God, I meant, forgot to mention the part that he poured water all over the thing before. He wanted to make sure nobody mistake, mis, mistook, mistook this thing for being a natural occurrence. This was supernatural. He was going to prove it. Pours water all over it, prays for two seconds. God rains fire down from heaven. It consumes the altar, and everybody's like, okay, we get it now, right? They bow down to the God of heaven, and an entire nation is convinced. Now, that is a mountaintop moment, right? That's actually mountaintop moment number one out of three in this story, where an entire nation sees breakthrough, an entire nation sees repentance in a moment. It's the power of a mountaintop moment. God's presence powerfully rains down and an entire nation turns to God. Now, after this moment, immediately, Elijah takes the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah down the mountain. He says, don't let even one escape, and he kills them in the valley. Can you imagine that job? But when God walks in, there are some things that have to walk out. And they had to go. And it was probably bloody and it was probably awful, but that was the prophet's job. And it was probably difficult having the conversation with King Ahab, but that was the prophet's job. And it was probably difficult after three and a half years of doing not much to stand up in front of an entire nation and declare with single-minded boldness that God is the God of Israel. But that was the prophet's job. It's a disciple's job to do the tough things with the power of God. And so 
He does. And then he tells Ahab, go down and prepare a feast, because I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. He didn't yet. Remember, they're in famine. Nothing to eat for three and a half years. I mean, the land is barren. In fact, when Ahab was out walking and they had that first conversation, he was out looking for grass for his cattle. There was nothing left, right? And so he says, I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. And Ahab goes and he prepares a feast, but Elijah climbs the mountain again because that's the prophet's job. And he gets on his knees. He brings a servant up with him and he begins to pray. God, send rain. God said, rain, you are the provider, you are the deliverer, send rain. And he prays and then he gets up and he says, okay, servant, go out, cross the mountain, look over the sea and see if there's a storm cloud coming in. The servant does and he goes, sees nothing and he comes back and he says, Elijah, there's no cloud. So Elijah gets back on his knees and he prays again because that's the prophet's job. And he gets up, go check. He goes and checks, he comes back, nothing. Goes and checks, comes back, nothing. Goes and checks, comes back, nothing. This happens six times until the seventh time he sends the servant out and the servant comes back and he says, there is a cloud, right? If you follow Elevation at all, that song just popped into all of your heads. I promise it's in the sermon notes. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should listen to it. There is a cloud. Now the, the cloud is the size of a man's hand. Real small, but that news doesn't seem to phase Elijah at all. I don't know if he's just tired of being on his knees praying or what's going on, but he says, awesome, go tell Ahab, he better get going because there's a mighty windstorm coming. Yeah. He's got the faith to believe that a tiny little cloud means there is rain coming. And I wonder how many of us have quit praying after the sixth time, third time second time, right? How many times have I quit praying after the first time? All right, God, well, I guess this isn't your will. I'm giving up and going home. Elijah didn't quit. And seven times he prayed. And on the seventh time, he saw a cloud. And he goes down. He says, you better get moving, Ahab. Take your chariots and go. And in this culture and context, the chariots were the fastest in the land. The Israel was very proud of their chariots at this time, their horses. They bred them specifically to be fast. The crazy thing is, 1 Kings 18, the very last verse of 1 Kings 18, says that, Elijah goes down the mountain behind Ahab and ends up running before the chariot the whole way back to Jezreel, the city that they were headed to. That's it. No explanation given. What on earth did it, you all know that there's the flash in the Bible? Like the superhero, the flash? No? You had no idea? He's Elijah. It's a Bible character, actually, and it's based on Elijah. He runs in front of a chariot the entire way back to the city. God gives him special strength. And I don't know if Ahab didn't invite him into the chariot, right? And God was saying, I don't need your horses and your chariots, your special stuff. I got this. Or if God wanted him to get to the city first to be, so Elijah could be the one to declare there's rain coming for the first time in three and a half years. But at any rate, it happened. And when they get back to the city, finally there must be relief for Elijah, right? He's been hunted for three and a half years. There must be relief coming, right? The, the respect that he's due 
as a prophet of the Lord. It must be coming. Because now he's rained fire down from heaven, right? He's prayed and seen a cloud come. He was the flash the whole way back to the city, y'all. Like, respect. But Ahab goes back to the palace. And he tells Jezebel about what Elijah did on the mountain and how he killed all of her prophets. Jezebel's not happy. And so she sends word to Elijah that in the next 24 hours, he will be dead. Takes it upon herself to vindicate her God as if he needs that, right? Because her God did, because he wasn't real. So Elijah, you would think after all that he's been through, and I really struggle with this because I've been calling Elijah this vibrant prophet, this vibrant disciple. And yet in this moment, after all the victories he's just had, two mountaintop moments. Did you miss the second one? He went back up the mountain and he prayed seven times and God came through. He responded and there is rain. Mountaintop moment number two is where God responds to us supernaturally and sends provision where there was none. Two mountaintop moments he just had. When he receives a death threat from the queen, he runs. Is that vibrant? (laughs) I struggle with this, honestly. Is that vibrant? Can I call Elijah a vibrant disciple when he ran? But I think in this moment, he's me. (laughs) He's all of us. I'm bold and passionate and vibrant one minute, and a storm comes, and I'm scared. I let it overtake me. I can be both things and still be vibrant somehow because it depends what you do with that fear. Elijah probably thought finally he wouldn't have to hide anymore. Finally, he would get the respect he deserves. And and by the way, after the last 24 hours that he's had, supernaturally speaking for God, running like the flash the whole way back to Jezreel, calling fire down from heaven, praying seven times and climbing that mountain twice and killing the 850 people. He was tired, right? A little burnt out. He was probably so done. And in that moment of just complete defeat, he ran. 1 Kings 19 is where we pick up his story in verse 4. We see him go on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. You're not alone if you've ever had those thoughts either. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. 
Listen, I don't think running in this case was a sign of weakness or a sign of being watered down faith, adding other things. Elijah in this moment could have said, you know what, fine, I give up, right? I'm going to go worship Baal. Forget it. You guys are hopeless. (laughs) It wasn't this. He was still being vibrant because of what he chose to do in that moment of weakness. He went out into the wilderness and he talked to God. He had an honest conversation with God. He wasn't hiding his feelings at this point, right? He wasn't trying to pretend to be something he wasn't. He didn't go to the temple and make sacrifices and jump through the hoops. He went alone in the wilderness and had an honest conversation with God. God, I can't do this anymore. God, I'm so done. God, it's hopeless. Can't take it anymore. He went and he had an honest conversation with God. And God met him there. He sent provision. He sent food. He said, you need a snack and a nap. (laughs) I'm just saying, snacks and naps are like way more holy to me now. I know last two weeks ago, I said that doggy bags are way more holy, but I'm just saying, snap, snaps. (laughs) Snacks. And naps are like God's holy provision from heaven. He sent a snack and a nap. And he said, eat some more. And then you're going to get up and you're going to journey to the mountain of God. Vibrant disciples need mountaintop moments. They need them. Like we need oxygen in our lungs, right? Like you need coffee in the morning, right? We need mountaintop moments. We have to crave them because this job is hard. What God has called you to is difficult. In order to get through it, you need mountaintop moments, breakthrough moments. If you haven't needed one in a while, you might not be quite following what God has in mind for you. Maybe you're a little bit of this. Maybe you've added some other things in. You're watering down your faith. It takes work to remain this pure and vibrant. It takes weeding some stuff out. It takes some pruning once in a while. The mountaintop moments does that better than we could ever do. I have had mountaintop moments where suddenly everything just seemed to make sense. And I just, instead of being reluctant to give something up that I've been holding on to for a while, suddenly I just want to give it up. I'm excited to give it up and step into the new plan that God has for me. So mountaintop moments give us, they bring clarity and focus. And we're going to see this in Elijah's story. He goes to Mount Sinai. Even when he was at his weakest, he moved toward God. Even when he had questions, he moved toward God. Even when he had doubts, when he felt inadequate, he moved toward God. And I think somewhere along those 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness all by himself, moving toward the mountain of God, he found clarity. He found direction. As we, as we move toward God, the, the miracle is in the movement. Johannes always preaches this sermon called the miracles in the movement. Moving toward God, spending time in the word and worship and prayer, makes the map suddenly 
clear. We can suddenly see the roads that we're operating on. Right? And it not only makes the map clear, it makes the direction we're heading on the map clear. Headed towards God, and we know exactly the route we're going to take. In 1 Kings 19, verse 9, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I've preached this many times lately, but when God asks a question, does he not know the answer? When God asks you a question, is it because he genuinely needs to know the answer? Or does God know all things? Right? Does he see the innermost parts of us? Does he understand our thoughts and our desires and our heart? So when God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Was that for God's sake or for Elijah's sake? Just compare these two conversations as we read through this. Because in conversation number one, under the broom tree... What was Elijah saying? Give up. I want nothing more to do with this. Take my life. I'm done. Right? He had no words to describe the problem. But 40 days of moving toward God, of fasting too, by the way, no food, no water for 40 days, suddenly he has words. And it sounds like he's rehearsed this because you're going to hear it twice. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Anyone else ever had moments like that with God? God, I have served you. I've been good. Did all the things you asked me. I I show up to church every weekend. I pray. I read my Bible. Don't I deserve a little respect? Right? I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Where you at, God? Doesn't it sound like that's what he's saying? Come through for me. I'm so tired of being alone, being by myself. 40 days ago, he had no words to describe what he was feeling. Now he does. There's something supernatural in the journey. And I struggle with a little bit with why wouldn't the angel just come and touch him? Under that broom tree, 40 days ago, a whole journey ago, why wouldn't that angel, instead of just giving him bread and water, why wouldn't he just, poof, you have joy? Right? Hope. Just take it. It's free. Why wouldn't he just love him and send him back? There's something supernatural about the journey that happens in our own souls. God provides us the mission. Think The joy is a little bit up to us. We have to define what it is we want from God. God asked him again. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind... There was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. 
See, remember, Elijah lived in a time when there were big, powerful, crazy movements of God. He had just seen, remember the crazy 24 hours he experienced, fire, and God was in the fire, and it rained down from heaven, and it was a mountaintop moment, and everybody believed. He had just seen a windstorm come in, and God was in the windstorm, and he provided provision. Jason told a story earlier about an earthquake, right, that God makes all these huge moments happen in this context and time. Elijah was expecting God to be in the earthquake, to be in the fire, and to be in the wind. And I bet he was standing in that cave like, okay, now, there's God. Nope, that wasn't him. Okay. Oh, fire. Yeah, that's God. Nope. Okay, that that wasn't him either. Right? Wind. That must be God. He's done this before. Nope. It's not him either. When we're looking for God in only one specific way... We'll miss when he whispers. Sometimes God shouts, and sometimes he whispers. Sometimes he sends provision, and sometimes he sends drought. We've talked about this a lot lately, too, but God cares for you spiritually before physically. We often want him to provide the physical things, the here and now, the bread, please, the rain, please. But when it's not spiritually helpful for God to send rain, he does not send rain. When it's not spiritually helpful for him to feed you, he's not going to feed you. He's going to do what's spiritually helpful. And in this case, instead of fixing it with a mighty move of God, he's going to fix it with people. Watch this. And a voice said again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, and you'll recognize this because it's the same script. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. He had rehearsed a thing or two on the journey. He had defined exactly what it is he wanted. There were no more questions or, or doubts He knew exactly what he needed. And the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. And then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve, incidentally, there are 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Anybody feel like that's a little anticlimactic? I mean, there was an earthquake, there was fire, there was wind. There was a 40-day journey, and before that, the crazy 24 hours. What, God? Right? Like, I thought you were going to shake the earth a little bit. I thought you were going to move the mountain. I mean, what's going on here? And God knew in this moment that what Elijah needed wasn't more fire or more wind or rain. He needed help. He needed a breakthrough. He needed to not be so alone anymore. And so he says, go back the same way you came. Yeah, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, no food, FYI. <laughs> go back, journey back, get your heart prepared for this. And then anoint three guys in leadership to help you. 
anoint someone that can come behind you and continue the work that you're doing. Oh, and by the way, there's 7,000 other people that you may not know about that have not bowed down to Baal. You're not alone, Elijah. You're not alone. You can do this. I'm giving you help. Mountaintop moment number three. God sends help. The thing about God is he is who you need him to be when you need him to be it. Not necessarily always who you want him to be. (laughs) Can't twist God's arm. He is who you need him to be. That's why when we first hear the name of God in the Bible, he says, I am. That's it. I am that I am because I am who you need me to be when you need me to be it. I'll fill in the blank when you need me to be it. I'm Jehovah Nissi when you need a banner, when you need somebody to follow into war, when you need direction. I'm Jehovah Nissi. I am your banner. When you need provision, when you need rain, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. When you need help finding your way, I am your shepherd. When you need provision, I am your shepherd. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I am Jehovah-Rohi. I am your shepherd. And when you need my presence, when you just need me to be there, sit with you, hold you, give you security and provision and protection, I am Jehovah-Shama, which means I am present. In those mountaintop moments... God is Jehovah Shammah with us. He is present with us. We need mountaintop moments because we need the presence of God. And in this case, Elijah needed help because vibrant disciples don't journey alone. Vibrant disciples cannot do this by themselves. This takes work. It takes help. It takes encouragement. Sometimes it takes rebuke to stay vibrant for God, to be single-minded in our focus, to be bold and fun, to be a life worship of God. It takes help. We can't do it alone. And the journey to the mountaintop is powerful. It changes you in exactly the way that you need at that time. We saw three mountaintop moments in this passage. Throughout the rest of the series, we're going to study three more. And God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And he met them on that mountain, on Mount Carmel, and he sent fire when they needed repentance. And he met Elijah on that mountain, and he sent rain when they needed provision. And he met Elijah on the third mountain when he needed help, because God is who he says he is. He's going to do what God says he's going to do. The band can go ahead and come. But today, as our hearts are getting prepared for the rest of the series, I want to challenge you a little bit. Step out. Start moving towards God. Start that journey towards him because God is looking at each and every one of us and saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why'd you come to church today? Why do you have this relationship with me? What are you looking for from me? 
define it a little bit so I can meet you there. And some of us, we need to start going on a journey with him because we need some clarity. We need to start moving towards him. Some of us are feeling empty. We need a recharge. We need to experience his presence like never before. Some of us are feeling drained and broken. Like the world has beat us up a little bit. God is our comforter. Run to him. Some of us, we just feel like we can't possibly do this by ourselves anymore. God's saying there is help. I will send you friends. I will send you people to surround you, to hold you up a little bit, some armor bearers in your life to get the job done that I've called you to do. You're not alone. I am with you. Today I'm going to ask us all to stand, and I'm going to pray. And after I pray, this space up here, this altar space, this stage space is going to be our mountain. And I'm going to ask you to move toward the mountain. And we're going to sing about breakthrough together. And we're going to pursue God together. Because I've never had a camp experience that wasn't all about this moment. If you ask half the campers we took to camp this year, and the, you ask them what their favorite part was, other than the mudslides and the whatever, the games, the services, the altar times, the moments spent with God are so powerful and life-changing. I was called into ministry at an altar at camp a few times. I was called to repentance at altars at camp. In the presence and power of God, your perspective changes. So I'm not talking about the words of God or the moves of God. We're talking about his presence because he is who you need him to be when you need him to be it. But Father, today we ask you for breakthrough. We ask you for mountaintop moments with you. More than anything, we want to seek your presence. God, give us powerful moments here today. Holy Spirit, come. Fill our hearts and our minds and our spirits with you. For those of us that are seeking shelter under the shadow of the Most High, be our shelter. For those of us that are seeking help and friendship, people to gather around us, send us help. For those of us that are feeling broken and empty and drained, God, be our comfort, be our healer. Heal things inside of our souls we don't even know are broken yet. God, meet us here. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to come. Move toward God. I'm not making this any easier. I'm not asking for a little hand raise, right? It's just faint music in the background. There's not lights down. It's not easy to journey toward the mountain of God not meant to be. Define some things in your soul. Who are you? Are you a vibrant, passionate, selfless disciple of Jesus Christ who every time there is a chance you're moving towards God? Or are you going to hang back? Right? No, this, this moment's not for me, God. 
I don't need anything from you in this moment. I'm good. Or are you going to move toward him? And on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to walk up here. You don't have to speak in front of everyone. You don't have to sing in front of everyone. You just move towards God, and we're going to worship together here on our mountain. One, two, three. Move. Come. God, we move toward you. Hands raised, eyes closed. But don't look down. Look up. We're moving up this month. Faces toward heaven. Because that's where our help comes from. That's where our provision comes from. And we're reaching out and surrender because we know this journey isn't about us. It's about him. We're going to give it all to him as we journey towards this mountaintop moment with him. Thank you, Jesus. Standing in your presence. Holy Spirit, come. Begin to speak just your own words to God. God's saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? What can I help you with? today? Who can I be for you today? Do you need provision? Are you weary and broken? Do you need God to be your comforter, your provider, your deliverer, your healer, your banner, your presence? This is who God is. And he wants to be that for you. Hands held high. Faces toward heaven. God, we receive your goodness, your presence. Agreda heard earlier in worship, God is a jealous God. He wants to see your face turned toward him, not turned everywhere else looking at the world. When you're weary and broken, we run to him for our breakthrough.
break strongholds, King of heaven, when you speak, mountains move, I believe there will be breakthrough. Oh, speak in your own words to God. What are you doing here, Elijah? God, we need your power. We need your presence. We need your deliverance. We need your comfort. We need your healing. We need your direction. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. God, I call out callings from this congregation. These vibrant disciples willing to serve you. God, send us back to your people. Bring out the gifts, the generosity, the servant hearts in this group of vibrant disciples. Show us who we need to be ministering to, who we need to be calling to repentance, who we need to be helping, providing for, serving wholeheartedly. God, give us mountaintop moments with you. so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Part of church camp is showing who we are as a church. And, and if you're new here and you're looking for a church where you just, you show up and, and you feel better about yourself and it'll, it'll help you get through the week and that's it, this, this is not maybe the church for you. You're welcome, of course, but this is a church that's going to fight for breakthrough. 
in our lives, in our families' lives, in our friends' lives, in our neighbors' lives, in our community, because without it, this is empty and meaningless. But you see, Jesus came and he walked this earth every day so that there could be breakthrough. But, but then there might be another type of person who, who loves that we have these moments and only wants these moments. But, but you see, there's, there's the travel to the mountaintop that matters. These, these big moments where I can see tears welling up in eyes and, and desire for more of God at this altar. It, without Monday through Saturday, Sunday is fake. So Monday through Saturday, climb the mountain. Climb the mountain. One foot in front of the other. Wake up in the morning and worship. Go to bed in prayer. Walk every day with him by your side. Communicating with him. So that you can and get to the mountaintop and you can look and you can say there's a cloud there's coming my breakthrough is coming there's so much more in store for us as a church as we follow God and it's going to come when God's people will be willing to do whatever it takes to get to that breakthrough Tonight, 6 o'clock, in this sanctuary, we're going to have this moment of prayer, of praise, of worship, of pursuit of God. Our more prayer service is happening tonight. I don't know what your plans are, but change them. Because God's got something in store for you if you'll climb the mountain. Father, lead us to become more like your son, to climb the mountains you want us to climb. God, you said you'd, you'd be what we need, and I can feel like you're asking us, will we be who you've called us to be? You'll become what we need. Will we be who you've called us to be? So make us a church called by the name of Jesus to bring breakthrough, to not live the same, to be vibrant, focused, and fixed on Jesus Christ, bringing in nothing else so that we can see breakthrough. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to see you praying and pursuing God deeper for that breakthrough you want to see throughout the week so that this doesn't just stay here so we can bring the mountaintop with us on Monday. Love you guys.